everyone and welcome all to the second Big Boss Battles Big Boss Babble. I am Trench J, your host this week, and with me I have Mr. Dan. Hello. Hello. His sanity is surprisingly removable, Stefan. Hello. We have Mr. George. Telltale! Hey there. <laughs> and it's Toby time. Hello. <laughs> Excellent. We're all here. We're all here. <laughs> the register has been taken. We are all present. So let's crack on. So what's, what's everyone uh, been playing this week? Let's start it off nice and easy and just get into it, shall we? Dan, what have you been playing? Basically just RimWorld, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> Although I did play a little bit of Raiders, which I'll talk about later on. So. Yes, RimWorld, that game. <laughs> it's your favourite. It's starting to become mine as well. <laughs> I, ha I basically I did a personal stream uh, to Dan earlier in the week. So he could uh, teach me. Oh no, hang on, what was it? What, which way round did we do it then? Did I play first or did you play first? I played first, you just watched what yes. was meant to be about half an hour of me just <laughs> quickly did. setting up a base and I think it went on for about two hours. Yes, it did. But I learned a lot and then the next day I did a personal stream to him and I think a few other people watched as well and they were all giving me feedback and I was learning on how to play the game and now I absolutely love it as well and I'm addicted. I think there were about four or five members of the team nipping in like no don't build that there oh what's going on here hello as different people woke up around the world <laughs> yeah it was good stuff i own rim world but i don't actually i've never actually played it is it really that complicated i mean is that fun i mean it, this is the thing right so it, it's it's incredibly deep there is so many little mechanics going off at once and there's a what, what what's it called down the storyteller in it ai storyteller that will just basically sort of generate random events that happen to your people and they can range from a, a random animal going mad and attacking your people or one of your electrical things blowing up or you know there's always something going on and and, and sometimes it, it's, it's basically a you know it's a community a community building game but it's very much got a lot of roguelike elements in it and something can happen and just wipe your whole community out in one go and you're like well there we go, I've got to start again now. But yeah, it, learning the, the little intricacies of the game can take a little while to get there. But I think once you've got it, then you'll, you'll start to love it and play forever. But a lot of the fun in the game comes from the horrible bloody things that it decides to do to you. But it's, it's unfair in the same way that the Left 4 Dead AI director, uh, which is probably one of the things that influenced it, I would imagine, is unfair in that sometimes you'll be fighting literally back to back stuck against a wall down a dead end hallway and then it starts throwing specials at you and you're screaming you know and RimWorld has those moments but then other times it'll be like you know what you've had a bit of a hard time so here's a big box of guns and and simultaneously sometimes you'll have almost that happen in RimWorld. suddenly you'll be like everybody's starving and this is not working i'm probably going to quit this game because this sucks and then it will go like cargo ship has crashed and you'll get little cargo pods that will have loads of food in you'll be like okay i'll keep playing for another 20 minutes and and those events that terry uh mentioned they they literally range from as he said like a random wire exploding which can be enough to set your entire you know 
camp on fire uh, to absolutely massive raids, including aerial bombardments, people setting up mortars to try and attack you, all sorts of stuff. Uh, one of my favorite things that has happened to me in all of the time that I've been playing it is like we had loads of food set up. I was starting to get a bit bored of the game. And then it was like a random traveling horde of kittens has decided to join you. And I literally had about 15 cats join and it was brilliant. See, one of, one of the craziest things that happened to me, I mean, it, it wiped out my people, but just the fact that the game can throw this kind of thing on you. And bear in mind, right, I've only just started playing this game. I'm playing it on peaceful mode with the easiest storyteller as well, right? I captured a prisoner. She was sitting in my prison, right? I had four people, I think. So the prisoner's in the prison. My four people are just going about their business. All of a sudden, the prisoner escapes from the prison, kills three of my people. One of those people had a cat. Because the cat's owner died, the cat went mad and killed my fourth person. <laughs> so I lost <laughs> all my people in, in the space of about three minutes. And I had to start what? again, but it's just it's just that randomness, and that, and that's the thing. It's hard. Like what I kind had of a cat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I mean. But that's because because I, I my people were sort of brand new, and I I hadn't really got that far in the game. They weren't armed or anything. The three people that were armed are the three people that tried to take out the prisoner, but they all died. So the the last person who got killed by the cat wasn't armed at all. Sounds like you just need a few cats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, to I, be think, honest, I think we need to move on to someone else because we could go on for RimWorld for literally weeks. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's rumours of a of a standalone podcast because of stories of Rimcast. like people having digits bitten off by llamas and stuff in this. But yeah, yeah. Uh, so what are the topics this week, Terry? Well, we've got a variety of topics this week. I think, though, we need to start with the one of the more heavy ones of the week. That, that split the internet right down the middle, and that was Hellblade and its permadeath mechanic, which some people think was a terrible thing to put in a game, and the other people that are right think it, thought it was good. <laughs> well, it wasn't. It wasn't even because it was permadeath. It was because you know the rumor said, or well, literally everyone took it as gospel because it came out so solidly and or, you know authentically seeming. The what it really was was that it deleted your saves once you got to a certain point, you know, uh, or sorry, once you had died a certain amount of times. And in in my opinion, and the reason I wanted to discuss it, uh, although I know a lot of other people will need to discuss it, but in my opinion, wiping a person's save because they've died a lot is a lot better than switching someone over to easy mode because they take the knowledge that they've learned when they start the game again and then start their journey smarter and more prepared the negative i suppose is that it is obviously if they start their out... game again <laughs> well it, it's it's that well yes there is that actually that's a good point but it, it's more that if the story stuff isn't skippable then you're bloody doomed. You have to watch another, you know, modern gaming. You have to watch another half an hour starting sequence because you've died a few too many times. But I, I honestly thought, right, okay, so this is actually a sympathy thing, really, because it's saying you're obviously struggling. We're not going to shove you on easy mode so you can cakewalk through or shove you on story mode, although obviously story modes in some games are very good things. We're going to take you back to the beginning. You've learned a lot. We're going to prove that to you by, you know, starting you back at the beginning with skippable stories which it turned out it didn't have in it not that that was relevant in the end anyway 
and you know just just go you're back at level one it's it's streets of rage you're at level one again you ran out of credits or you ran out of whatever you're going you're better you're going to get a level further but but yeah someone else take the mantle now what you brought up there dan is was exactly my point and why people that were moaning about this are just it's just wrong because like you said like streets of rage you run out of credits you start the game again that's <laughs> how games were all right, I'll, is, I'll play double that. If anything, this is a traditional <laughs> game mechanic. You have lives, and when you run out, you start again. How all games? Are you saying it's a generation thing? Are you saying the internet backlash was from a certain generation? Yes, yeah, so basically, I, I think how I put it on Twitter were uh, millennial babies. But, <laughs> <laughs> but which aren't but, you actually yeah. part well, millennial? The, I, I don't see myself <laughs> as a millennial. But the actual. The, the quote you found wrong. was that you was yeah. in that group, yeah. wasn't you? <laughs> but that definition's wrong. But I, I think someone else found a, another quote on a different site somewhere else that actually it was it was different. It was about the early nineties that millennials started, and there was another Y generation or something. But I don't know. Any, anyway, it's 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 young uh, the the younger generation who have have basically had everything handed to them on a plate, gaming wise and, ge- and general life wise as well. Are you saying that a little bit of entitlement was yes, was coming forthcoming? Yes. Entitled babies—they're the words I use. <laughs> I, I think that's far too full on, to be brutally honest with you. And I don't believe in this generational stuff. That I, I do think I made it clear that I think that generational labels are really a waste of time, and we're just taking stereotypes based off the you know a, the the traits that people have inherited from their parents, or from inverting what their parents believe. Uh, so so yeah <laughs> so yeah and and as somebody who is continuously because of my date of birth labeled as a millennial you know I, I i i yeah i i generally you know dismiss dismiss such uh such labeling uh it's got dark pretty quickly didn't it but then some <laughs> some, some games <laughs> but then modern games do have more of a story in them and so they obviously want you to continue things like save points are not a bad idea they allow for a longer game which obviously this turned out that it was a longer game this was about 10 hours long wasn't it at which point i say you know what if you spend 10 hours playing a roguelike you're probably playing it extremely slowly the kind of games that are nowadays throw away are a lot uh a lot shorter than than 10 hours as it were so i think the question has to be asked is is the mechanic is the mechanic suited for the game in question so for instance if you had that mechanic on a six to plus hour game would you be happy or would you prefer a that mechanic in a 10 hour plus game that could be the, the reason where certain members of the internet were unhappy because they felt it was, you know, they've wasted potentially 10 hours. Where maybe a different generation would think, actually, 10 hours, well, that's normally what I spent on just one level back in my day. So I think that was that was where I think people were starting to come from. And then it kind of devolved into name calling, didn't it? <laughs> All right. I'm coming in with a controversial uh, standpoint on this. Um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. First off and foremost, um, Iron Man mode, which is basically what this kind of is. It's like Iron Man mode from XCOM. This 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 concept has existed for a while. You lose, you lose your save, start over. The question for me is, and this is the standpoint that I want to ask is, 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 it, is it okay for it to be forced on you? Um, I mean, having the option there would have been nice. Having, you know, 
I think options are what I think is more important. I think that's what they should have gone with. Uh, because you know what? I'm an adult, and I'm going to look at this from an adult aspect. Um, I have a job. I have a family. We all have things to do. And having to start over, I'm sorry. I know this is going to piss off Terry. But your games of old days kind of sucked, okay? I'm sorry. The idea of having to start something over is completely just boggling. I would be so pissed off. I'm glad, actually, that you're still talking. I'm surprised he hasn't muted you just for that one moment. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that is definitely a mutable offense. So um, but old, I can, I can see his point, I think, from no, both I'm, sides. No, I mean, I, I, I do get the fact that that yeah maybe obviously a lot of games back then they did that because they were you know arcade translations and they were built to gobble your money and things like that but right, right, right. My, my problem was is that you know it, it's not a new mechanic and and the thing is people like people go on about well you know the, you know the length of the game matters how about minecraft i mean minecraft got it's it's not forced on you but it has got a hardcore mode and you could be playing that game for absolutely weeks non-stop and then have your save deleted but, but that's they're... a hardcore mode yeah, exactly. That that's an option you chose. Yeah. But I, I suppose in in any case, it's it's all moot because it turned out that this mechanic was not in the game at all anyway. <laughs> well, it, it was it was classed as as, as uh, Jim Sterling quietly put it. It was it was mentioned, but it has no teeth to it. Yeah. So it's there to kind of, in a way, if you look at it as a psychological thing. And maybe that's what the developers were trying to put. Yeah, I mean, into I, th you. I think I think this what it was is is because because the mechanic was so tied in with the story of the game that it was basically yep. a body rot that was going to basically kill the the protagonist's brain over time if you mm -hmm. died more and more. Then that's fair enough. I think they were they were just trying to force the issue because that does of... ramp up your fear of making sure you do something, you take your time with the game, you don't just yeah. plow through it. Yeah, definitely um, it puts you in a certain mindset when you're going into the game. Exactly, and I think maybe that's how they wanted it to be seen. They wanted it to be seen as like, I've got to be careful with this, and that, but then using that that almost fear already, when you have the story behind it, it would ramp it up so much more. I'm, I'm for some reason I can't I can't get out of my head. There was a, a story. I don't know if it was. I, I don't think I don't think it was ever real. I think it was more of a, an urban legend of a game that was that was developed in russia that you bought it and if you died within the game not only did your save game die it uninstalled itself and wiped the disc it was on so you physically couldn't play it anymore i have heard that before but um, I don't, i've never found any proof that it was an actual real thing well probably not because it's deleted itself well it might not exist now <laughs> that's, yeah that's, that's by the by but, but whether it no, did that... exist at one point there's no real evidence that it did actually exist somebody made a game on steam uh that was something about sheep or shepherds i think i i think it was actually a dark kind of first person survivalish game i can't quite remember what it was but they said only two hundred thousand people or something like that two hundred thousand owners could play the game and once you died that was it you couldn't start a second character uh, and that was maybe two years ago now. It's probably more, actually, but, you know, time. <laughs> but, but yeah, there was definitely something like that recently, whether that was inspired by those old urban legends of video games of old. Possibly, because obviously we, well, the... we, we've heard that Polybius is in development, so... Well, it is. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it it was in a video, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, Llama Guy is doing it. 
Um, to cut back to what Trench was saying, the game was called Kill Switch. That's the one. That's the one, yes. I couldn't remember it. It was a, a, a supposedly 1989 game which the player uh, choose either Ghast or Porto. It was uh, nearly impossible to play as Ghast as he was invisible, which, which pretty much apparently everyone used to choose Porto. Um, and this is what would happen if you basically, once you completed the game, uh, it basically completely wiped itself clean and could not be copied. Uh, apparently, only 5,000 copies were created and it fell into obscurity. Yep. That, na- that name, Killswitch, is, is too perfect for that to be real. I'm it sorry. I think, I think it is just a, a possibly a, a, what's it, a creepypasta kind of story that's just been made up. Because mm. it is a bit fantastical. Because the one I remember uh, read... Uh, that it ended with a guy basically managed to find one of these, bought it for like 50 grand and said he was going to stream it. Um, but all that happened was there was like a five minute stream of him just weeping, apparently. So, you know, that just, just ends it on a sort of a perfect note for the kind of story that it was. Pretty much, yeah. That's kind of like, hey guys, I did a test run before and now, yeah. But interesting anyway. Game survived today. Would, it would, people buy, would people buy it? I, I, uh, yes, people would, just because of the concepts of it, I think. And the fact That's... that I think te- technology's got to the point now where I don't think, you know, if, if it was made in a certain way that it deleted itself and it did all this weird stuff, I don't think that would happen now. Someone would get hold of it, find out how it's doing it, stop it, and then go, here you go, here's a game you can play as many times as you want. I don't think it would survive in its in its actual form that it it would delete itself. Someone would be able to stop that. I think it would depend on the price, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if, <laughs> you don't want to spend 300 quid and then die and then it's, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, if, if some indie developer decided to, you know, create it just for a, a laugh to go along with the, with the creepypasta and just put it on Steam for like pound fifty or something, I think you, they'd probably get quite a few sales. And a lot of refunds. <laughs> Oh yeah. Not necessarily yeah. if it's already not if it's actually put in the actual if it's been mentioned in the title, you know, this will delete if you do that, you have there for given context to it. So it's not as if it's you know, it, it's part it's like part and parcel of the, the game. It's like saying here, here's a TV and here's the remote. You know, it's part and parcel of it. You mean shoving it in the EULA? Uh mm. I don't think any any EULAs actually pop these days. Only the very odd, rare ones where it kind of goes online or it's using a third party thing. I think it just automatically waves like, yeah, nobody's going to be an idiot with this. Everybody understands it's just a license, not ownership of part of the game's very existence. Yeah. Plus, it would be interesting to see what how they if, how they could make it work. Like, if, if could they make it so? It was built, say, into the Steam API. So you bought the game, you played it, it deleted itself, actually removed itself from your Steam library, and then possibly even enabled you to buy it again for people that did want to do multiple playthroughs. If it was that cheap, I think it would work. That's just a guaranteed cash moneymaker, isn't it? We've just yeah. hit up on the best cash moneymaker game possible. Which, de- which developers do we know? <laughs> we, need, we need to get on this. I mean, that is... Uh... I think we need to bury this and hide this because a publisher is <laughs> going to get this idea and we're all going to hate ourselves in a couple of years. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're literally talking about the invention of the disposable camera of video games. Oh, Indeed. dear God. <laughs> we can call it Kill Switch 2. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
I'm sure someone's done this before with like a subscription service that purchases through microtransactions, like a key to a game, and that's over. Even something like uh, well, that's what maybe? they're saying. To, that's what they're saying about online gaming, is it? Is if if it's if it's online and they no longer make the game for anymore, or they get rid of the game and you accidentally delete the game, you'll never get it back again. Yeah, no, actually, has... what what Toby said there reminded me of something. I'm sure there was a game, some kind of online shooter, that basically whenever you purchased it, all you did was purchase a life. Yeah, there was a first-person shooter. It was uh, Eastern European. It was brightly coloured, actually. I remember it being almost cel-shaded. I'm going to go look that up because I remember talking about that a couple of years ago. One second. Yeah, so while he's looking that up, I mean, I, I remember reading about that, and that's kind of an interesting thing because it it almost at that point doesn't become a game. It's more like a it's more like a gambling thing at that point. You're, yeah, you know, it's it's all you know. You're paying to play, and if you lose, that's it. The game over. You, you know, like what we're talking about with with Hellblade, but that, it, it's it's kind of interesting. If you if it's it's almost like an online arcade game. If you want to play, you pay, and then once you die you're out of the game and i, I don't know it's, it's kind of an interesting mechanic and again that's something that could potentially be a massive cash cow imagine imagine player unknowns if they did that they'd be rolling in it even if it was like 10 pence for 10 lives or something you know they 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 would probably be making more than they're making on the loot crates although that said the cut on some of the loot crates and some of the price that loot crates are going for you know valve and uh blue whatever they're called blue, blue hole blue hole that's it uh m probably minted off off the uh workshop sales before we even talk about the obscene amount of sales that they've made i found the game uh it was not cell shaded it was meant to be hyper realistic it looks pretty good uh it's called one life quite literally oh yes i remember hearing about that <laughs> makes sense i suppose and uh and and yeah it was one life is the first multiplayer survival game with perma permadeath that's that's right you heard it there you heard it here first perma permadeath i can't wait until we get perma perma permadeath at which point do we get karma 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 chameleon uh if you die you will leave the game forever will you manage to survive in this harsh world full of dangers upgrade your battle truck and set off for hot spots with friends play with your own rules but remember your every move can be the last one. Sounds like a bad version of life. <laughs> the game or the abstract concept? <laughs> anyway, I think it's about time we move on. Next up, we've got a uh, topic uh, brought up by Dan. And that's the, the f simple fact that you can't make esports happen. Dan, over to you. Okay, so this is uh, this is based off of experiences that I've had over the last couple of months uh, doing stuff for the site and reading a lot of kind of email pitches and stuff. So obviously we've, we know that there are games out there that have uh, made themselves very uh, accessible to esports and it has worked. You know, obviously we've got things like Dota, etc. Uh, player unknown battlegrounds i do feel is going to transfer over to esports particularly well counter-strike is still major on the circuit and other games will continue to enter and access but i do think that you can't develop a game expecting it to be an esport you can you can put considerations in place but things like rocket league based on the success of the first game which i think was supersonic acrobatic 
rocket, rocket powered, powered battle, battle cars. cars. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based on the success of the first game, they could have just thought, you know what? Yeah, we've got a catchier name, but basically a little bit of neon. We're not going to make it. But look at it now. It's doing well on the esports front. Uh, and similarly, you can't really build a game expecting it to grow into that direction it's a waste of resources and it almost certainly will result in you not growing in that direction uh an example i didn't really want to discuss was boss keys law yeah i will anyway was boss keys law breakers lawmakers law breakers that's it uh which is headed up by cliffy b obviously of of epic mega games and epic games fame uh, he made my favourite level on Unreal Tournament uh, and obviously went on to lead lead Jazz Jackrabbit, which was brilliant, and the Gears of War series before heading off to do this. Uh, current player levels of the game are putting it as, I think its peak this week was 3,000 on PC and it's dipped down to about 1,000 now. And, and similarly, looking at things like uh, what was the Gearbox game that they put out just before Overwatch? Battleborn. Battleborn, that was it. And that was another one that, that suffered because of timing, even though it was built ready for a massive surge of players. I, I think that yeah. those those efforts could be put into other things. It, 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 we're at such a weird point in time now wherein esports is something that you have to consider. I mean, they're talking about putting it into the next Olympics, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, well, not the and... next Olympics, because the next is Tokyo, but they, the France want... Actually, France have been pushing to get it in the 2024. Yeah. Mm. And, and, you know, when, when it's that big, when you've got the big American TV channels showing, you know, their, their big national sports that they normally show 24-7 and dedicating a couple of hours to esports. And I think we've got BBC Three is going to be running some esports stuff over here as well. And it is, yeah. when it's getting that serious, you know, it is becoming a talking point and people are saying, hey, look, look at that thing over there. It's so shiny. We could be that shiny thing. And I, I think that in, in many ways that that kind of trying to make esports happen is going to is going to hurt some developers uh it, it, it it's such a new thing that people's ambitions haven't learned quite yet to be to be tamed or even slightly kind of like self-leashed uh before running forth expecting to embrace it i think the reason esports has hit off is esports is run by the fans in terms of they choose which game is going to explode onto the scene uh, the developer can never actually determine it. They can try and put a game out that will work for that, but only the players themselves will ever identify which one is going to be really you know, explode onto it. You know, Overwatch. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. You know, it wasn't thought about. It, it was going to be as popular as it was, but it has. It's exploded onto that scene. Um, and maybe that is the way to go. You know, you put it on there, maybe with the hope it happens. You know, it's got it's got so many certain aspects to it. Like you know, it's easy, it's uh, easy to pick up a hard to master sort of mechanic. You know, and fingers crossed, yeah, it becomes an esport. But as, as you were saying, Dan, to force that uh, onto the player or players is is unwise because tastes change. What is in esports now? may very well not be in esports in two or three years time i am going to contradict myself now and then i'm going to pass it pass the flame over to, <laughs> to, to, to terry uh in the 
you know, we do know that Call of Duty is going to be big. We do know that whatever Valve make next is going to be big. Uh, they just announced a card game. Do we, though? I we mean, do know you look that... at the latest Call, Call of Duty, it flopped. We d- yeah, but then we've been saying that about the last six or seven, but Activision haven't shrugged it off or stopped making them yet. Oh, no, no, they already we... do it because it is a big money spinner, but you look at the player numbers. We it's... do know that Battlefield's going to do well. We do know that uh, anything coming out of Blizzard, like Overwatch and Hearthstone, is going to do well. It's the smaller breakthrough titles like Player Unknown uh, and other titles that that can't really be predicted and shouldn't really be so hopeful. It's great having it's great having the servers ready and it's great having everything ready and the progression system in place. But if nobody engages that because you've spent your time doing that rather than working on new mechanics and new things, or unfortunately, even working on getting a little bit of marketing out there and getting it in front of people's faces, then I do think you're going to suffer. Regarding the Call of Duty stuff and the Battlefield stuff, we know that those companies are big enough that they can pump money into it to make it work. Uh, if you remember back at E3, I can't even remember the name of the game now, which is possibly a point, uh, possibly just my terrible memory, but there was a thing on the Microsoft stand where there was an indie game that is coming out on Xbox One. It's also coming out on the PC. And they had a guy in a bright yellow shirt going, oh my God, and he's going around and he's going to grab the axe and he's throwing it into the guy and I can't believe it. It's insane. You know, and they were straight away, they were going for that esports. Hey, look, we've got a crazy commentator, you know, because that's what this game is going to be when it launches. And I would say, sadly, despite the efforts of the studio, there's probably less than a 30% chance that that's going to, you know, grab that audience that they are aiming for with that pitch even if that pitch was overseen by microsoft i think i think i don't think even money these days is capable of putting it into esports look at for honor it had a large amount of money spent on it and uh ironically it's free to play uh, at this weekend as we speak but it after its very large popularity for the first month it died it, there is barely anyone playing it at the moment it might get a resurgence with it being free to play but that was tipped to be an esports game uh, and it did phenomenally well for a good two or three months and then nothing it's, it's just it's kind of died a death and um, that's why you don't hear about it anymore but at the time everyone was raving about it saying oh yeah this is going to be the next you know the next overwatch and it hasn't <laughs> Well, yeah, when it comes to For Honor, they kind of shot themselves in the foot um, with, you know, they're not having hosted servers and players were getting dropped every five seconds. And I think that's kind of what killed the uh, the, the momentum on that game. But yeah, I, I completely agree with what Dan's saying. There, there's really no way to just say, hey, this is going to be an eSports e- game. I think you need to start with a with a, a basis of, is a fun game, simple as that. I mean, if you look at uh, Rocket League, Rocket League was first and foremost just a fantastic and fun game, and then it became an eSport. Mm. So, yeah, I completely agree with what Dan said. There's just no way to predict what is going to become an eSport and what, you know, isn't. See, I don't know. There's there's a slight counterpoint, which I brought up with Dan before, and that's, Good. And that's Nintendo. Nintendo seem to be able to actually do what the hell they want to do and force it through. Splatoon has gone absolutely mental. They they advertised it pretty much as an esport game in their opening trailer, and it is picking up steam. They're doing global, uh, you know, uh, uh, events all the time. I mean, it's not 
at the moment to the level of you know things being on TV, but they are doing massive global tournaments for this game. And Arms is going to be at the next Evo. I think I think with Nintendo, Nintendo is is uh, is a rare one because Nintendo has a very hardcore player base of fans. Too damn right. And <laughs> um, with them behind you, you're already got uh, you've already pushed it to the forefront and they know that you know it, where generally the other games it's a blend you know they're trying to bring people in With nintendo that was already core there they knew what was coming out they knew they were going to love it and that was it and now what they're trying to do is build upon that where as dan was saying when you've got you haven't got that fan base to build upon you've got to bring something special or you've got to make it fun so that it, it then builds itself up to become an esports game. Exactly. Excellent. Well, some interesting <laughs> viewpoints there. So next up, I think is, is George talking about sexy shalob. Oh yes. Okay. So I think we should, I should start with the trigger warning because yeah. anytime you start talking about women in Triggered, video games, triggered. yeah. Trigger warning. That's my, that's uh, my so, space. If I said, hey, guys, spider and sexy, would that sound like right to you? Hell no. Smite. <laughs> uh, Smite, and there's an anime with, uh, it's called Monsters something, uh, Living with Monsters. So, yes. <laughs> well, that, that gives you something that. exciting to you there. <laughs> well, that's taking also, everything off topic. Also, wasn't Mary Jane in Spider-Man, like Spider-Girl at some point as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. All, right, all right. All right. All right. All right. My point is this. Okay. In the most recent uh, Shadow of War, whatever the heck it's called, they took a character from a Lord of the Rings book. It, the book came out, just to clarify, in 1954. Okay. Now, I know this is probably a topic that many people care about, but here's why I think it's kind of offensible. Uh, they took this character that was just a giant spider monster uh, who was very terrifying, very cool if you've seen the movies. She was a really badass character, and they hypersexualized her for this game for absolutely no reason. And she doesn't um, look like a spider at all, right? No, no. She she goes she turns from a from a spider into this sexy, like black lady, you know, this like you know, typical goth looking lady. Um, which I'm gonna find goths now, great. Um, but you get the idea. It's just a hypersexualized character. Never in the history of this character is it known that she could do this. It was unnecessary. It just made me roll my eyes because it's so just typical. Right. So you're gonna you're gonna piss off the feminists for hypersexualizing a woman. You're gonna piss off Lord of the Rings fans because they're messing with the lore of the character. Is there anyone they're not going to annoy with this particular development? Perverts exactly. like me. Well, yeah, I suppose perverts like male gamers. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. No, I, I can understand where actually you're coming from because the, you're quite right. If it's just there to bump sales, if it's just there to put a eye candy in, then you're right. It, it's a sexist sort of attitude towards it. You know, we're trying to get away from that. Um, if it, if it wasn't the original law, then you're quite right. We there is there is you know that's so you know, it was always there. That's fine. Um, just to do it though, to what you know, bump up the bump up the you know the teenagers buying it. You think it's more of a marketing tool, possibly to try and you know get the Definitely. younger boys into it. Definitely. 
I mean, this just sounds like something out of the 90s. It's like, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what we'll do is we'll make it so the guy can drive a truck and the truck has got machine guns on it and it can turn into a giant T-Rex and the T-Rex saves all of the babes and then they have hamburgers and milkshake and it's brilliant and everyone kisses with tongues and it's amazing. Yeah. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's Actually, awesome. Strange, strangely <laughs> enough, everyone's just going, that's quite good. <laughs> But like doing that with Lord of the Rings or like with, I don't know, like, I don't know, the Canterbury Tales or, you know, Romeo and Juliet. Right, I, actually, right. no, to be honest with you, Romeo and Juliet, you know, the, the adaption uh, of that was pretty good. Uh, but, but yeah, whatever. And in the Here's same vein, uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is really good. <laughs> if anyone's yeah, not but, seen it. <laughs> but, but it doesn't go like, oh, and now Mr. Dar Darcy also happens to be a hot babe as well. And now they're all totally Frenching. You know, it's well, it, it's not like that, like 12 year old boy from the from the 80s or 90s stereotype of, of what they want in the world. And, and yeah, so I can see why people would be annoyed at this, to be honest with you. And that is a bit weird that they've just taken this literal big bad spider and turned it into a sexualized woman it's like yeah you wouldn't well, here's wouldn't... a question for you would it be offensive if they turn that big bad spider and turn into a sexualized man yes yeah, yeah, would it be because, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll go through this because the the thing i mean i i give less than anything about lord of the rings Two i can't stand it but my, my main major issue with it is the fact they mess with the law of Lord of the Rings mm. more than the fact? I mean, sexualizing a woman and putting her in a game—that's almost to be expected. Is it a good thing? Not really, but it's not new. But messing with established law is yes. not good to do either. And that's it's the reasoning behind it. Have they actually stated what the reason behind it was? Have they actually the developers come out and said this is of the reason not. why? Of, of course not. They're just—they're just like, oh, we just. They wanted to make her a character and make, make her seem like a, a mother figure to the main character. So they really couldn't come up with a... Because so, she could have been like a terrifying old woman. Nope, yep, nope. She needs to have... She needs to be hot. Hot spider. Mm -mm -mm. I can spider. just imagine the go... So, Mr. Developer, why did you turn this uh, spider monster into an over-sexualized woman? And they just reply with the word boobs. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just reason enough. <laughs> or maybe sows, you know. I'm thinking sales. It's a sales pitch. Yeah, we, we need to increase our sales in this demographic, you know, 8 to 14, because that's where the money is. And uh, how do we do that? And you can see some guy in the background going, hot spider woman? Anyone? No, yeah, like, yeah, that works. On. That works. There's lots of tits in Game of Thrones, similar kind of eras and kind of things. Let's, yeah, let's go that direction. <laughs> Literally, they could have, and, 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 to not to prove a point or to hammer a point home, but literally turning a frigging giant spider into a random woman that's meant to be attractive or is attractive or whatever. They, you know, where do they stop? They could have done that with one of the random towers. They could have been like, hey, look, Sauron's in this. And by the way, it's Sauronetta, you know, or whatever. And they could have been like, hey, look, the Ents are here, but it's an, it's a, it's literally a bunch of all-female Ents and their babes. So it's like the Amazonian Ents, you know. <laughs> There's no respect for the source material here. Trust and me, there's, some, frankly, there's someone on the PC who's going to mod well. it. Now you've mentioned it, I can guarantee you some PC guy's going to mod it like that. But it's just like, 
really the the question shouldn't be why or is it offensive it it should be more of what was the bloody point you know it's like oh especially when you're altering lore that is over you know 70 years old that's that's just exactly if you're altering lore at any point you have to have a concrete solid foundation for doing it guys i've had a brilliant idea Uh, Uh, (laughs) i i think we should do like a four-player cooperative shooter where you play as like you know four random presidents of america and like rather than george washington we can have like a babe washington and we can have like abraham lincoln and we can <laughs> and and yeah we can we can have some of the other important ones as well yeah and we can just have them all as babes you know and that'll sell loads yeah that'll be awesome yeah brilliant i think that's my idea that has, there is a game out there like that well, I mean, my Saints Row 4 game, I, I play the president in that, and my president's a woman with massive tits. So... <laughs> the question is, what, what would be... And it's a shame, really, we haven't got... You know, we've got, you know, we've got a large group of guys here talking about this. It'd be nice to get a woman's perspective in terms of, A, would she, is, she finding offense, is she finding offensive, or is it a, oh, guys, typical sort of attitude? Because I'd like to see what their views on it as well. Very true. Uh, this, because, this, <laughs> yeah, this has just been all chaps thus far. So, which well, don't get me wrong, there is obviously there's various viewpoints on it, but I think generally, we I think the what we're coming down is it's it's you messed with the law. How dare you? Not the case of you've put in such a, a really hot babe. I think it's more of come down to it. It's like why have you even bothered? We 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 can see what you're doing. Don't try and pull the wool over our eyes. You're messing with the law to bump sales. At least if you're going to do it, I mean, would it have been better if they just come up and said that ah, we've just we've missed the law to boost sales? Would it have been more of a an issue if they just come out and said that? Then, uh, then I think that it would have it would have gone. The law people would have said, "Well, yeah, it's a bit of a problem." But if it, if they came out and said, "Well, it's just to boost the sales." then the SJWs and feminists and all that kind of people, that's when it would really piss them off. Yeah, uh, there is a point where we can't just sling around the word, you know, the word, the acronym for social warrior. You know, we can't, you can't just sling stuff around like that because it is plain and simple that, you know, this is like not just an odd move on the whole sexualization front, but, you know, etc. I don't want to get too tied up in this, but that is a, right. a pretty pretty dumb move. They could have brought a random... If they wanted a random babe to be in the game, they could have just made a random new babe, you know? Or they could have uh, got a female character and been like, oh, no, all of my clothes has fallen off, or whatever that they would have done in, you know, back when we were all growing up, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> I don't right. Know. So, to, to, to wrap up, which is what I, I kind of want to do here, is uh, I want to like you know ask you guys questions you know whoever's listening, can you think of a strong female character that who's who's not sexy? That would be my challenge to you guys, and I think that should be the end of that subject. But that that's kind of like my what I wanted. Without to doubt, to that's guys. not a problem for me. One hundred percent. My favorite feminine character who is not sexy uh, is Ripley. She just embolded a perfect from female heroin the movie yeah in in, in in alien ripley perfect movie. in isolation yeah uh, she's in that she, yeah exactly i mean she's just she's not there to be sexualized 
she's there to do the job and get through it and she's doing it to the best of her ability she's not sexualized she's not overt they whacked her in and she's like what 1979 1980 that film came out you know this has been strong women have been around for a while so to come and do sort of this sort of thing now i think the important thing the important thing is that really when it comes to a narrative if there's anything that's not got anything to do with the damn narrative then it's not important and so very much the ripley character i heard was originally pitched as a male or somebody wanted it to be a male character and the important thing is that that character did nothing like oh yeah but don't forget i'm a girl so i'm gonna do my hair you know and it also didn't do anything like hey i'm a guy i'm gonna drink some beer and throw a american football at a wall you know and 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 similarly i found that the uh the maxine max character in life is strange was pretty good i mean i know that that was very kind of like seen and targeted at young kids and i didn't understand half of the lingo and it seemed pretty ridiculous at times but at least that was that was actually going on the human angle of things rather than going hey i'm a girl and this happens you know etc 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 should definitely be a character first in the same way that we should be humans first before we're identified at by our gender or etc 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 all right. Well, moving if it's all right with uh, Terry, I'm just going to move on to the next <laughs> subject here, which is yeah, about the same game, anyways. Yeah, take take over, George. Go for it. All right, here we go. Single player, single player microtransactions. Love them or hate them. Um... <sighs> <laughs> and the next topic is no. Carry on, George. I mean, just talk about it. I, I, you know, it's sad because I was really looking forward to this game. I, I really liked the first one. And it just seems like there's just this landslide that keeps coming along with this game. It's PR. PR has got their hands into it, and they need to be cut off at the knees. This is also Shadow of War, I take it. Correct. Mm. They're going yeah. full, full belt then. Uh, I mean, Warner Brothers have always been a bit strange with 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 certain bits of DLC. Uh, but then again, they have been a very consistent publisher and, you know, I suppose father of or father or mother or whatever parent company of uh of solid developers you know they've they've been quite consistent i think this is the first time they've pulled this although they were really really solid advocates of the season pass single use season pass online thing back in the day uh back when yeah. I was working in the shops uh, i mean for me as i tweeted out it's a it's a disgusting trend in multiplayer. I say it for me, in my personal opinion, it's a disgusting trend in multiplayer games. To have it in a, a single-player game is abhorrent. It's just, there's no need for it. You are literally there to fleece money from the gamers. Just call it as it is. You're there to get more money for fleecing. So just can, for the sake of it. Can you explain the mechanics behind this? I mean, I've, all I've heard is that there's literally loot boxes. Uh, the first thing that sprung to mind was the paying for extra drones in Dead Space 3. Right. So in uh, Shadow of War, you can buy loot boxes that contain uh, equipable items. Also in Shadow of War, you have kind of like this this army aspect to it that you can also modify a little bit. Uh, so you can also actually like end up getting like you know more powerful orcs for your army. Um, now, the thing that they stated was that all these things that you can get in loot boxes, you can't technically get to the game. It just, quote-unquote, takes longer. Grind. 
Right. And I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen this type of thing. You know, uh, Ubisoft has always done something to the extent of you being able to buy items in their Assassin's Creed games. Uh, they did the same thing in what the last uh, Deus Ex game. Um, but it's just, it's such a disgusting trend. And I just was like, really, why? Why did they do this? What's... I, I, I agree. I mean, what's interesting, I hadn't heard about this Deus Ex thing, and I consider myself very, very engaged with the industry, but I'd seen zero reaction to that. I saw when people talk about Deus Ex, they talk about the amazing level design and the visuals, and I've not heard anyone talk about these almost, what I'm guessing, are kind of like shortcut packs, uh, similar to the uh, Fast Forward or... Oh, I can't remember what it was well, called. what it is for the, the Deus Ex is you get a Braxus uh, points, and basically this unlocks a perk within your system within your body which you can then use to you know, do things um and here instead of going through the game and finding some breakfast points you know and searching for it uh which then leads you on to other areas leads you onto different missions so it's you know it's part and parcel of the game you could circumvent that by a whole lot of a breakfast points and be this beefed up character straight from the off but it would cost you oh and but there is one thing you forgot to mention. They were also only one single-time use. You yep. couldn't, it would only one save file. If you wanted to start over again, you'd have to purchase it again. It's so freaking stupid. Does this, not to be a right pain in the bottom, but does this not tie into that first conversation that we had uh, about Hellblade and accessibility for people? Because if in Hellblade, for instance, people's saves are being deleted and people have problems with that, they feel like they can't complete the story because their entire save is being deleted and they're being penalized for not being great at the game, which obviously, as, as we said, didn't turn out to be that. But if, if people are complaining about that, then surely people should be complaining about the fact that they're actually being charged for an easier mode, essentially an easier playthrough of games in buying this Lord of the Rings uh, crate or this Dead Space extra little robot to go off and gather resources or this uh, Deus Ex practice point. I think that's what's, what's come around. I think that's generally that's why the internet, you know, in one big almighty, literally what we did, sigh, just went, ugh. You know, they could see exactly what it was about. Um, I think what the 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 problem I think with the worry I think they come is is it's become a trend and so what they do is let's you know you can get these extra armies you can actually extra points why don't you spend money so what they do to encourage you to do that is that they make the game more grindy than what it originally would have been and that is what they don't detest you know they just don't make the game don't don't push the game to become a worse game just because you want to sell more stuff. You know, it, what's the knock-on effect on the actual gameplay? Is it going to be a bad knock-on effect because they're trying to push you into paying for more stuff, which it seems like they generally are. I agree. And, and the problem is that people can now see that uh, people are now, I suppose smart enough to see or i suppose they always have been and this is just a new thing but people can see that this is the start of something that could snowball and so that's yeah. why people speak out against it because they can see those tiny those tiny little tiny little instances that could possibly snowball into something bigger exactly 
as, as Trent probably going to say, is what stops it from happening on another game? If this happens on this one, it's going to happen on another one because I will, you know, I think I heard it as a PR. It's, it's, it's saying it's money on the table. And that's what they see it as. They see it as money on the table. So why shouldn't they pick it up? They don't see it from any other perspective. And if they can get away with it one game, they will try and get away with the next game. And before you know it, every game will have a loot box in it. It doesn't matter what it is. It'll just have a loot box in it with most transactions. Um, and, and, and that is the nightmare scenario right there. That That is the terrifying nightmare scenario. It's the thing is, is that they, but the thing is that they do keep making them. So is anybody buying them? Is there, you know, my, my, my challenge to you would be, is there any way to look at this in a positive light or is this just all just greed and money grabbing? <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. It's just money grabbing. And the thing is, if it does start snowballing and, and gets more in, in PC gaming and things like that, PC gaming marketplace is going to end up like the mobile marketplace. Because every single mobile game that you buy has microtransactions in it. And how many of them are multiplayer? Not many. They might have a Facebook link so you can see your friends' scores or what level they're on, but they're not multiplayer games. They are just pay-to-win games. Exactly. I think, however, there is a bit of a light, uh, and I'm probably being the devil's advocate here, there is a bit of a light, is that generally the people buying this are of the younger generation. The people older are just going, no chance. And I may be the potential is that as you get old you'll start to realize you know, you've got more uh, other things going on you've got more money spending elsewhere that you won't actually use it so it's for me i see this as being aimed at the younger generation which has a flexible amount of cash to spend um i think as you get older you just you start to realize this trend again that no, i'm not going to do it i'm not going <laughs> to spend it why should i all i heard then was bloody millennials <laughs> <laughs> ruining our games in my Toby. day, we didn't have microtransactions. Come on, Toby, you want to jump in here and defend yourself here, man? Come on, Toby. Hey, I don't like microtransactions either. Then you're this one isn't of me, the good this is you guys. Hey, millennials aren't the game developers. It's you lot who are making them. Oh, good point. Hey. This is, this is true. Well, actually, it's not even the developers. It's the PR. Let's be honest now, here. Now, no, no, no. I, I think even that is harsh on, on PR, but I know what you mean. I know I know not to put words in your mouth, but when you say PR, you're, you're obviously in the entire marketing department and exactly. almost effectively the CEO. It's almost the marketing direction rather mm. than the PR because PR are often just a small team that were hired from outside to just get the word out to people whereas you mean the general kind of marketing the general kind yeah, of I, this is the way we can... i retract my pr statement and tell me <laughs> as general marketing uh, just in case there's any people pr people who are you know listening to this and thinking well that seemed cut off um but yes i agree it's just the marketing directive my worry is today's gaming generation and maybe this is why we're having a big influx of retro is in my head or at least that the way i'm seeing things done by the triple a games it's right this is a big cash cow how can we get people to get spend money into it and then let's put a story behind it where it seems more of the retro based is this is a great retro game how can we make it fun and then how do we charge people for it it's almost a flip on its head and, usually, and usually those indie retro people don't charge much for it because they're friendly types and good eggs but the issue is that as new games come out that that add these kind of like time saver 
and they'll pitch them as time savers. They'll say, hey, by the way, you know, I understand you've got a busy life. You work a 60-hour job for a boss who doesn't appreciate you. So why not spend £30 extra with us? And instead of having to grind all the way up to level 30, you'll be level 30 straight away. And you can just breeze the story and take it at the pace that you want, you know. And and how do people how do people face that because that is essentially what that offering of an easy mode or a story mode is what people were crying out for with the hellblade situation i think that's exactly that but i think that is again is certain for a certain age because i think as you said if, if being probably one of the oldest guys in, in the group you know that when i look at 30 quid coming out of my account that's 30 quid that you know isn't going towards a bill <laughs> yeah i mean so for me I'm an old yeah. man. I, I literally count my spend in uh, in weeks of food shopping. So literally we sit down every week and we go, right, £45, that's the budget. So if I see a new game come out and it's 45 quid, I go, right, well, that's a week that I could have fed my family for. Do I want my family to starve for a week? And I know that's me just being an old so-and-so, but you know, that's but this what I said, it's a generational thing. It's done to me, yeah, yeah. As, as you're younger... You say maybe in your 20s, again, you know, uh, I mean, this is not everybody. I'm just, Again, I'm kind of guessing. I mean, Toby will probably have to give us more insight on this one. You, you've got more flexible funds, I suspect. So you think, oh, actually, that's quite correct. Yeah, they're right. I could save a bit of time here, you know. I can pretty much confirm that young people don't have flexible funds. And to be <laughs> honest with you, every generation for the last probably four generations has been accidentally shafting the generation under you know i know i said i didn't prescribe the generations but like life has been getting harder even though the world has been getting smaller and seemingly better for us you know but you know there's so many of us living under a weird fluctuating poverty barrier i i wouldn't be surprised if all of us here are literally counted as living in poverty by our relative governments it's and... getting dark again <laughs> <laughs> sorry i got political bleeding heart sullivan crops out but <laughs> but but yeah no i i think money is is still tough i'm, I'm gonna stop talking for toby but but yeah toby yeah. You, you just tell us your thoughts yeah well i i never buy microtransactions i think maybe you've bought like a loot box now and then but kind of you can either get a game, or you can get a shorter game, mm. the game you already have. I think it is a trend among the younger millennials to buy this sort of stuff, but definitely not me, and well, food is more important than playing half yeah. a video game. See, I think my, my major problem isn't, my, my major problem isn't the fact that, oh, it, you know, you can, you can pay to skip over the early parts of the game or, or get an advantage or whatever. My problem is, is, is simply the price of the stuff now. I mean, stuff like this has been around for a long time. You know, you could buy a game and then go online and buy the Time Saver DLC and it might cost you three quid and it, it just opens up all the unlocks without you having to work for them. That, perfectly fine. But when you're paying like 30 quid or whatever for something or, you know, it's it's or it's something that you have to constantly buy like loot boxes and, and things like that that's when it becomes a real problem so you're putting it in as it's the actual cost of the, the time saver item rather than the actual act itself yeah i mean the act itself i i completely understand i mean it, i think 
like you're saying, like, you know, younger younger generation might just want to do it, but also for for us older people, like like you mentioned, we we don't have as much time to play games. So mm. even for our generation, that is still a, a temptation. It's just the price problem. Like like I was saying, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind paying you know two pound fifty three quid to unlock all the unlockables in a game. That's not a problem to me. But you know either either constantly having to buy loot boxes because they expire or you know paying... see I must be, I'm very surprised about that being a as you know as you said you know regarding the Hellblade thing you know being of a generation who had you know one game save I would have expected you to be abhorrent by any of you know extras of whatsoever you should be like this is a game this is how it's boxed in it this is how it's complete anything else is a second game or a third game i do think that the big issue that dominates the hellblade situation is the story in the game the fact that it's relatively story driven and there are cinematics that apparently couldn't be skipped although once again not it's not relevant now because it all turned out to be a bit of a farce but uh but that would be my main reason for you know going hey you know what you know i'm enjoying this permadeath mode but yeah i'm gonna pay two pounds for the story mode because i can only die on this so many times because i've got a million games coming out every week and i need to you know crack on so in, in a roundabout way are we saying that microtransactions and i'm gonna kind of be devil's advocate is acceptable depending on the price i've changed my mind no it's rubbish they should be unlockable <laughs> bonuses at the end you should literally be able to you should play through the game without getting shot in the left hand side and unlock big head mode and then you should be able to go through the game in big head mode and unlock floaty body mode and all of the other mutators and then paintball mode comes afterwards and then this and that and then all of a sudden boom you get a two-player mode that was hidden in there all along and you just played for 30 hours to unlock two-player mode and nobody on the internet spoiled it for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's obviously that flip side as well, where where companies do uh, do the whole whole thing, but they do it backwards. So, like with Capcom with Street Fighter Five, there's obviously tons and tons of DLC for new characters and things like that. But you can unlock them through playing the game. There's still that mm. option, but they've but they've framed it the opposite way round. They've gone here's the DLC. But you can unlock it not that you can unlock all this stuff or you can buy the dlc to get it now they've framed it backwards and i think in a way that 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 framing makes it sound better in in today's market because obviously in today's market you're used to going right here's a game here's the dlc here's another one here's another one if you want the full experience you have to buy all the dlcs whereas framing it as yeah, you can buy the DLCs, but if you want to, you can work at it and unlock them at your own pace. That's fine. And I think that framing it that way round just to my generation sounds better. It's like you can buy it, but you can also do what you used to do and just unlock it as you go along. Well, I think we should have somebody check on Dan because I think he regressed into the 90s. Are you okay, Dan? <laughs> I'm absolutely fine. I've been thinking since my last statement which corrected my statement before and I've decided to correct my last statement that corrected my statement before and I just want to briefly ask everybody here did any of you play Marvel versus Capcom 2 yes yes I did I still do quite regularly do you remember the joy of playing that stupid bloody almost a mini game to unlock an extra character or unlock an extra skin that you really really didn't need and so you kind of shuffled it to get another character yeah, it was kind yeah. of fun. And in games like that, I think it works. In the same vein of something like Smash Brothers, 
we had to do the stupid hit in the sack a certain amount of time or play the story mode to unlock new characters. I think for my generation, that kind of stuff we, we enjoy doing. It's it's just one of those things that we've always had. We, we, we are used to working for stuff, but I do also see um, the benefits of being able to buy your way in as long as that's not prohibitively costly or in the case of loot boxes and things like that, um, you know, expendable, as it were. So they, they, they run out. Yeah, I mean, with Marvel vs. Capcom, when I played that back on the Dreamcast, uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, it was such an amazing game, and I sat there for hours. I was still a student, I think, at the time, and I sat there for hours and hours, and I played it a bit like Power Stone 2, which, honestly, there needs to be a Power Stone 3, but, yeah, a bit like Power Stone 2, and I, I sat there, and I, I, I got every single thing through hard work and graft, but I don't have the time now. So right now, if somebody said, like, hey, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is available on PC, you should all buy it, I'd be like, hey, I should all buy it, and then I'd buy the game. And I'd go, right, okay, I'm going to unlock this character and this character and this character because those were my killer free, you know. And I'd probably do that. And then if it said, like, you can unlock everyone else for an extra three pound, I'd probably do it. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'd probably just go, yeah, unlock everyone else because I've got what I wanted. I played the game a little bit, you know, and now I just want to, you know, gun through it and enjoy it and have good memories. And... In many ways, like if I'm rebuying a game, if I'm buying a game that I've bought before and I'm spending another five pounds on a game or another seven pounds on a game, in my mind, it's like, you know what? I've already blown seven pounds on this game and I bought it for 40 pounds when it came out the first time, if not more. So I think I can blow a little bit more to get that quality of content that I had before. You know what I think is funny is that all of you, when we first started the subject, went, meh, and then you've all kind of selectively talked yourselves into it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still 100%. I'm sorry, 100% still for me. It's, I just don't see it. I don't. I, uh, okay. Also, well, sorry, sorry, sir, just to interrupt you there. How about games such as uh, League of Legends and Dota, where the game itself is free, but you buy into your characters that you want to use how, how does well, that fit on your well, radar that that's fine because it's that's the model it's meant to be for it's not exactly yeah it's, it's not trying to hide itself as anything else it's I mean, exactly like paladins yeah yeah because at the moment i'm playing paladins now i haven't i haven't bought the game i'm grinding for the characters at any point i can spend money and buy the founders pack and that's free forever I haven't done that actually. I did it for you know Smite, but on this one, I thought no, I'm actually and actually that actually is making the game even more playable for me because I've got and I've I've set my sights as a target for me. It's like right, I've got this character. I now need to grind for the money and get that character because I've seen that person play it. You can actually play the characters in tutorial mode, and they do have rotating characters anyway. But it's given me for that sort of model. It's given me a challenge every time to move forward um the other ones all they're doing is just trying to get money out of you and that is what i that's that's the one thing that kind of sticks at the back of my throat we know you're just doing it to get money yep agreed well i mean i think with i think with league of legends you can actually buy the game for about 40 quid and you get everything and that's perfectly fine because you're not spending uh, over the top mm. 
but the skins and that you have to work for you have to try oh, you know but but skins that's a completely different thing that's not changing the game at all it's no, changing exactly. the visuals that's that is completely optional you don't need it to make it doesn't make you better in the game it doesn't give you any more no. abilities it's just visuals that's purely optional so that See, i'm that, fine with I mean, yeah exactly i could be happy with I'm, I'm not too bad but i'm fine with that because you, you know it's up to you what you choose you know it's a skin it doesn't affect the game whatsoever if it affects the game and you have to pay for it to affect the game that's when i think it's abhorrent. yep agreed completely uh well I just want to bring up, we have a lot of other subjects to talk about, so I'll just make this a little, a little quick. Uh, but there is one game that kind of did that. It kind of pissed me off, which was uh, Smash Brothers. The most recent one, they had characters that you could buy for DLC, and it was ridiculous. I, it's one of, it's like, yes, I understand you get a bunch of characters for free, but they also started adding characters that you had to pay for, like Ryu and then Cloud and then Bayonetta, and it was just bleh. See, could you not grind for them then, or you just had to physically nope. pay for them? You had to physically pay for them. See, that's awful. You see, I think if you grind for them, again, it's like it's setting a target. You know, you want that character. You work your ass off to get it. If you, if it's just there, it's behind a paywall. It's just more money, isn't it? But nobody called Nintendo out on that when they did it. Nonetheless, I, I think with Nintendo though, it's kind of expected. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not only that, but like you, like you said earlier, Nintendo fans are generally hardcore Nintendo fans, and Nintendo cannot do any wrong in their eyes. Anyway, let's let's get out of this segue in a segue in a segue in, in inside a tangent. So next up, we've got the most inappropriately named uh, game series ever, Final Fantasy, with Final Fantasy fifteen comrades. Uh, Stefan, over to you. Yes. Uh... This is going to kind of tie into with actually our discussions previously. Um, for those who don't know, Final Fantasy XV was a single-player game, and it had uh, a few DLCs before playing a different character. The single-player game, game was four young men battling uh, against an evil empire. Now, very early on, there was a bit of a backlash at Final Fantasy XV. There was no multiplayer. In today's games, they wanted a multiplayer mode. Now... Uh, they did say they was going to bring this as a DLC, and currently, right now, as of uh, about two weeks ago, there is a DLC beta for Final Fantasy XV. Very similar to the main game, you basically create a character, and with four other people, you go out and you basically uh, do quests. And this is, this is going to like kind of bump up the already existing single player. The question I'm kind of going to bring to everybody is, is this a good marketing strategy? And is this something that we're going to see in the future where a single player game starts off and then all of a sudden further down the line. And in fact, this is like almost like a year and a half since its release, they throw in what should have been in some people's view in the game for beginning. No, I, I, to be honest, my opinion on this is it's completely wrong. It's Final Fantasy. It doesn't need multiplayer. If you want to play multiplayer, play 14 or 11. They're MMOs. Go away. Leave the standard series of Final Fantasy games single player like they've always been. Not every game needs multiplayer. Uh, my standpoint is on this is, is that Final Fantasy 15 took a decade to make. It was a very ambitious game. Uh, if they want to I mean, if the engine's capable of it and they want to cram as much crap as they can there, I think that's value, not necessarily a bad thing. 
well what they've done is this is a kind of a weird one is they've made it standalone so it's uh well at least the beta is a standalone item you don't have to have the disc to put it in um i don't know if that's going to happen when it publishes it but it is a standalone extra um i think they had a lot of problems in the development side of things and what they tried to kind of placated a few people was that look we are going to do this is what we're going to do later on uh, as you quite rightly said some people didn't want to see uh, multiplayer in it the newer people like myself who've never actually played final fantasy whatsoever i'm actually quite enjoying it i'm actually i, I think it adds more to the law i was really really happy to see it it was just the practice of it and the reason why i brought it up is because there's another game that has a similar sort of practice where it's a uh, i think it's friday the 13th they brought out a multiplayer mode and now they're creating a single player mode but the game's already out and i'm just wondering if this is a practice that is it's going to come up is this something that we're going to see more and more of where they're going to do one segment and then halfway you know, a year later put in the rest of it i think it is something that we're going to see more of. Obviously, we we already know that the Final Fantasy VII remake is going to be a a, a multi part series, and I, I I do think more games are going to go like that. And in a way, it, again, it, it kind of comes down to, to to price. I'm, you know, if if this multiplayer DLC thing is free, fine. If it doesn't cost very much, fine. And like you say, if if you potentially can buy it as a as a totally separate entity to the main game without having the main game then that's fine but shoehorning it in is 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 not good to me my personal opinion on this is that this is good and this is how things are going to go in future i mean i brought to the table on this week's big boss babble that you can't make esports happen you know so what i was really saying with that subject was that you can't set out and say, oh, and the multiplayer bit's going to be brilliant and everyone's going to love the single player bit and we're going to do an esports bit and we're going to have this big DLC structure for single player missions. You can't really plan that far ahead. What you need to do is do what you're going to do best. And in the case of the core Final Fantasy team, that very much is kind of the whatever they used to call it, the five fingers or the various echelons of of what they aimed for renewing every single game, which is amazing graphics, outstanding video, uh, video yeah. visuals, uh, great soundtrack, overwhelming story and a new battle system. Uh, and I think they were, I think that was what they used to say was what they aimed for every single game. And they, they, definitely delivered that with Final Fantasy 15 people were blown away it was it was open world it had open world bits and bobs in it mm. uh which hasn't been properly in the game since Final Fantasy 9 in my opinion 10 was when it started kind of grabbing you by the hand and dragging you through the through the land and through the various bumps and bobs and even 9 was quite hands-on actually uh but uh but yeah and so 
15 definitely delivered. The single player was overwhelming. I read stories and journals online from people who had never played games before, who had laughed at their children for playing games and were now sitting there and playing Final Fantasy 15. And so I think, yes, it deserves an extended lifespan. And if they can do that in a way that uses the same engine and the same visuals uh, with the multiplayer, then, you know, bless them, go for it. And if you know, somehow they managed to turn the card game into some, you know, eSport, then, you know, once again, bless them, do it. I think they have proven that that core game works and that the pitch, the story, the music, you know, the visuals, blah, 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 works. And so building on it, in my opinion, is nothing to be ashamed of. I'm all for the live product thing that we're going through now like rainbow six getting new operators added every year you know i'm all for stuff like that i'm all for there never being a rocket league 2 or a crusader kings 3 because they are just continually adding new expansions even if one of them is a visual upgrade 10 years after the original one upgraded and so i think final fantasy 15 joining those ranks i think that's good and considering how much square enix let me down by dropping io interactive on hitman which in my opinion was you know living the dream with that amazing kind of weekly content schedule that they had you know i'm I'm quite happy with final fantasy 15 as it stands yeah i think the to go, to go back to the the original point is whether we'll see more of it and i think in the triple a space we definitely will purely because games now are getting to the point where they take so much effort and so much time to develop I think a lot of developers are going to see the advantages of, you know, maybe getting the base game up and running, shoving that out the door, and then following it up, and and kind of building upon it, um, to to get to that full experience. I mean, as long as they're upfront about it, like um, we might, we might talk about this soon with, in, with No Man's Sky. They they obviously announced all this stuff. It wasn't in the game, and now it's gradually getting put into it. If they hadn't announced it up front, there wouldn't be a big backlash. Now it would just be like like you're saying they're adding extra things, and it's getting better over time. And I think that kind of development cycle for new big AAA games is the way it's going to go forward. They go right, okay. So we've got the base game up and running. It works. It's golden. Go. We'll follow up later. We'll give you more stuff later. We just want to get this in your hands now. And I think that's kind of what they're doing with, with the Final Fantasy VII Remake, is that there's going to be so much put into that game, and so and people are expecting so much as well. So they're just like, okay, we know you've wanted this for a long, long time. We're going to try and get the first part out to you as soon as we possibly can, and then we'll follow up with the rest of it later. And uh, to be honest, I don't see that as as a bad thing. Again, though, from what we were talking about before, depending on how, how it works financially. Can I buy the full game and get everything else free? Fine. Can I get this part and then I have to buy this part and then I have to, this? That, I don't like. To go back to the base question of what Removable Sandy was saying was, um, is this something that's going to be coming, you know, ha- happen often? And um, I think that the question for me is, is that um, were the games intended this way? Like, where's mm. like Friday the 13th was the game done or was this just something that they didn't have time for and they're like oh now it's a new thing are these games really done when they when they come out these days I say no uh, I say games these days are hardly finished uh, this is proven by the dozens and dozens of bugs we find 
Uh, and I think this is something that isn't going to change. I think this is something that's going to continue to happen and probably evolve into more uh, either a good thing or a horrible thing. I can't say for sure. <laughs> Sorry, just just on that point, I am going to take us off on a slight tangent now, if if I may. No! Yeah, and, and the fact that you know everyone brings up the fact that there's oh there's this bug there's this bug there's this bug in all these modern games and everyone's going oh no it's, it never used to happen yes it did if you watch any speed run of any old retro game you will see that old retro games were fundamentally broken they break those games in half i mean i've seen people literally in super mario land 2 walk through the code of the game and trigger the end sequence and this can be done on original hardware games have always had bugs games have always been broken it's just i think now uh obviously they're, they're more visible now because of the internet but i think i can see your point are we in that case then the question are we expecting more in terms of a polished you know, with, with with back then, it was coding. Certain things didn't work well. It was a port over, and they did the best they could. Or is it now they just don't have the time, and they've got to get it out because if they don't ship it, there it may uh, it may break the bank. And I mean, another question is, what was the game's original intention? Like for Final Fantasy fifteen, it's a single player RPG. Is it right to have? those funds going towards a multiplayer aspect or should they be making more you know aspects to the story should they be adding to the single player aspect to it you know where, where should they allocate their funds and is that right yeah i think i think at least on the final fantasy 15 if i remember it was something they wanted to do uh, early on but development time and problems really early on in the whole package and the fact that the internet was saying well hang on you've you know you've been trying on this single player game now for so long why haven't we got it that stopped them from potentially doing it i think from gauging from the developers they wanted to do a lot more and have almost a polished game ready for you to be done just time scales and the general internet you know gouging them to get the game out stop that from happening i think in in very many ways uh this is almost like a ever so slightly twisted kickstarter wherein with kickstarter the more you earn obviously most companies set up these ambitious goals that they want to achieve if they hit certain targets and many of them don't actually you know intend to hit those targets and so they take a little bit longer to implement because they had roughly you know, only roughly outlaid what it was that they needed to do. And and so the kind of current publisher structure from many of the the, the mid-tier, the non-top five, I guess, publishers appears to be based around that. And it, it seems to be going on that. So I get a sneaking suspicion that Final Fantasy XV did well on launch day and then it did amazingly on launch week and then it did outstandingly in launch month and oh my god people are still talking about it so yeah those ideas that you said keep doing it because it's making us money you know so those ideas that we said hell no to before you know the gates are lifted now and once again i think that's okay as a publishing structure i think that a publisher is very much that kind of like i guess wealthy uncle figure 
that says, yes, you are doing well. You are now trusted with a little bit more money or whatever it is, you know. And so I think this kind of thing, this kind of like a product staying live and being a live product, even if it wasn't intended as one, can be very good for the industry because it it, it takes players who only bought it for single player and introduces them to new areas but it also allows developers who normally specialize in one area to further specialize uh, and i think this fundamentally kind of uh situation is a is somewhat of an odd situation because this is this almost seems more like they're ticking off things they wanted to do anyway yeah. whereas i think most developers like if you took for instance obsidian uh with pillars of eternity if they got more money or if they had an amazing reaction they would probably build a more in-depth and more true to you know heavy rpg form mm. expansion to it they'd go hey look you are the most hardcore you know fans that we have and you deserve a reward and i think that kind of growth in the industry is good yeah but also sorry sorry to but you know, I, I heard a, a snap, and I think that was uh, Stefan. But I, I think as a as a counterpoint to that, if this kind of development does become the norm, I think we're going to end up with load with unfinished and orphaned games. Like the mm. developers going to make a game, put it out there, it flops, so they don't de they don't deliver on the rest of the content, and you, then you, you end up with games that are basically unfinished. You mean the old uh, "I'm trying to be an esport." type of game where they go hey look we're going to make a single player game and if everybody buys this which they totally will because we're amazing uh we'll make the multiplayer aspect that we've totally got planned out now but haven't got the money to do it yeah basically you'll end you'll end up with empty well not empty promises just you know developers might just go well what's the point let's move on to our next game and then you end up with possibly possibly a game that is by design unfinished i mean with Final Fantasy, if it was a publishing stunt, it's worked without a doubt. It's still being talked about a year after release. You know, they've spread it out and it's keeping the popularity of it alive. And uh, the actual deal, the actual debater, I'm actually really enjoying. You know, I'd recommend anyone to even just give it a go. It's really fun. But my worry is that it becomes the norm. If it becomes the norm, as Trench was saying, we then end up having product set is half asked. We've got our money, we don't have to put any more effort in. And that is a bad thing for the whole industry. Trigger warning. I just want to say that I think Final Fantasy died after Final Fantasy X. <laughs> I think it died just before Final Fantasy X. Uh... Yes. <clears throat> Tidus, never no, no, thank, no thank you. No Tidus. Just go um, before that. But Blitzball was great, but that is not a substitute for a good Final Fantasy game. To be honest, with, with the amount of spin-offs that they've done of Final Fantasy games, I'm surprised that they haven't done a standalone Blitzball game. And if they did, I would play the hell out of that. Agree. I have no idea what you guys are talking about because I have never ever played a Final Fantasy game in my life until Final Fantasy 15. I recommend that you work backwards through them. I, I honestly sorely recommend that you start with 9 because that was magical and I think that might be my favourite. I know that's a controversial opinion. And then you go to 8 which was like 
trying to look humanoid, uh, but dated already at the time. And then seven was like big plot twist, plot twist, plot twist. It was like a mess of a story. I think at my age at the time when I played that, it, it took like two or three playthroughs before I was like, oh yeah, right. Okay, cool. I'm just going to go to the golden saucer. And then like six and five and, you know, um, by the time you reach one, yeah, one is just like RPG dilute, but it's still, I would say, pretty important to the modern structure of RPGs. And then after that, you can start playing wicked games like Wizardry and Jagged Alliance and stuff, which obviously inspired it. Less so Jagged well, Alliance. But... Well, actually, actually, this one thing actually I'm going to try and cut in as well is, I, obviously, the, the, the beta was, a, obviously, it's an add-on. One thing which I am on the fence with is the lore. Because not coming into the Final Fantasy, I had no understanding of it. So before Final Fantasy XV came out, they brought out Kingsglaive, the Final Fantasy movie, which basically gives you the well, at least for me, it gave me a good understanding of what the hell the game was all about. See, at the same time, I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I was hesitant because it's very similar to and I, I, I hiss when I say this word, Destiny, where <laughs> they kind of put the law in an awkward way of doing it um you if know it's like cards if, <laughs> if you've worked it. on a game for a decade and you can't tell the story inside of the game i think there's some so you failed fundamentally as a writer i'm sorry wait it tells a story but it doesn't give you the history and that's what they did with the film and and the question is is that going to become the norm is you know if they're going to go well actually as as, as, as you know as point of thing we haven't got the time to do that so let's get another department to just give us a backstory with an anime or, or a movie push that in that gives us a whole load of money and funds and now we can move on to the story the main story which we're going to focus on honestly uh, if I must say so, I think that's the first time that Final Fantasy have ever done it, and probably the last time that it will ever do it. Normally, they completely deep end you into a new universe. Every single game is different than the last. Final Fantasy X is this big kind of flooded world, uh, and you, you know, there's this big apparently big technology-driven world that you've been thrust from and all of these people are speaking foreign languages and you're fighting your way across the land to find your father and find the truth. And Final Fantasy IX is this kind of rich uh, fantasy fantasy world where you're just trying to defeat the big bad who's trying to destroy the world very much. Final Fantasy VIII is all about amnesia once again. It's just kind of a Final Fantasy trope. Uh, once again, like I said earlier, it's trying to look realistic. But, you know, it's almost a weird science fiction uh, post-apocalyptic setting. And all of them just dump you into the setting and you learn it there and then. I mean... Well, I also Final... agree with Final Fantasy fifteen. It has happened before with Halo. So... I, I was talking Final Fantasy, sorry. But yeah, yeah, no, but in terms of... It seems to be that this is becoming... Again, it seems to be coming. This is becoming. It's the precedent's already been set, and this is potentially what could potentially happen. You know, you looked at Halo. They did the. Uh, I can't think actually. Um, they did a bit of a law, film-wise, for Master Chief before Halo Five came out, and then all of a sudden, you know, about a year later, Final Fantasy does the same sort of thing. You're thinking, is this? This is starting to. You know, it's more and more. You know, this was never ever the case, and now it seems to be. 
uh, it used to be like I think if it was on dead space they did the game and then they did something after it. Now it seems to be it turns its head. It's, it's on the head, really. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot of the time with these with these things, I think they're just they're supplemental. They're a lot of the time they're not directly to do with the game. And it's I think in many cases it's the game developer going well. You know, they've they've developed this world, and it's and it's kind of I can't tell everything in the game because there's you know there's not a way to do it and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So that so they tell it in a different way it's like um like the, 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 with, especially with square enix as well like the, the final not final fantasy the kingdom hearts games the new collections that you can get on ps3 and ps4 have you know they have remasters of a couple of games but then, i mean there's there's about 13 kingdom hearts games now so in on some of those discs you've got just the cinematics from the games and that tell you know without even playing the games you can get the entirety of the story and and then and then carry on to the next game or whatever. But I I think a lot of these ones like Dead Space is just like so I've created this world but you know there's not a real way of of telling, telling the narrative in a in a third person action game. I want to go elsewhere and and tell the story of the world that I've created. But like Dan was saying, Final Fantasy I mean there's there's commonalities, there's Moogles and Jacobos and, and things like that. But generally speaking, every single story is totally different. It's set in the same universe, but you can play almost any of them. And, and, that's, and that's why it did lead to things like, um, you know, Final Fantasy X and then X2. And then there's 13 and there's 13.2 and 13.3. They're the direct sequel games. But all the rest of them are completely different. Except Sid. Sid appears everywhere. I don't know what he, what's going on with that. He's some kind of magic dude that just transcends time and space but generally yeah everything's different so you can jump in anywhere and you haven't got to worry about it too much Sid has always got something to do with airships as well and Bigs and Wedge show up a couple of times as well or a sexy mechanic in Final Fantasy 15 which pissed me off what mechanic? (laughs) a sexy mechanic in Final Fantasy 15 right? wait a game mechanic that's sexy no No, Sid was a mechanic yeah in Mm. Oh, I yeah. missed that. I, I there was some gender swap thing that I saw at one point. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't played fifteen, and I've only seen people driving around in a car, so uh, yeah, and, and heard good things. But yeah, it, it caused a bit of controversy uh, when it first started. Well, when people first found about it, <laughs> going back to that entire Shalub sexy thing, it's completely stupid and unnecessary. By the way, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I'm actually going to defend Final Fantasy Ten a little bit. I think Final Fantasy X had a little had redeeming qualities. I do think things started to go off the rails a little bit, but I still think it was a, a decent game. My problem with ten and my only problem with ten was that it dragged you. It literally grabbed you by the hand and said, The next section you're going to is here. Yeah. And now you're going here. And now you're going here. And it took literally two thirds of the game before you got an open world map. And the next game that I tried, and I really wish I tried twelve because I've heard nothing but good things about twelve. It's in it's in the setting of one of my favorite games, which is Vagrant Story. Uh, and it's in the art style. And it actually turns out that it's a grid-based, turn-based kind of game. But I skipped that for some reason because I didn't like Final Fantasy after what kind of tended to me. And the next Final Fantasy that I played was Final Fantasy Thirteen, which was just all about just changing rock, paper, scissors, form kind of formulations and formations. Uh, and once again, that game dragged you until up until I think it was the 11th chapter before it gobbed you out into a 
world map that you know didn't even have a golden didn't even have a place you could go and gamble <laughs> Although, sorry, just just going back on that, the controversy over Sid in Final Fantasy Fifteen was completely displaced because everyone thought that Sid was this young hot girl now, and it was like, um, no, that's his granddaughter or something, because the old man mm-hmm. Sid is in the game. That's right. Yep. So people got up in arms over nothing. Basically, it was just a relative. Well, I think they were up in arms is that why is she overtly sexualized. You know, her top does give you a bit of cleavage glimpse. Yeah, yeah I, say. I, I've never had my car fixed by a supermodel like that ever. <laughs> Wait a minute, you're from the if you're from the US. You're telling me that no one is that's not happening. It's just. <laughs> but I keep seeing all these adverts exactly. of America see... and in America, yeah. it's all of these supermodels yeah, fixing sorry. things. Sorry to disappoint you guys. It's it's all a lie. It's all a lie. Really? Anyway, so you're just British people with like I don't know more coffee rather than tea. Basically, yes. Right, anyway. And, let's, and let's, higher let's... cholesterol. <laughs> right, let's move on to the last one. This is for Dan and uh, Stefan, I believe, and this is about Raiders of the Broken Planet. Yeah, indeed it is. Uh, Dan, do you want to play, play, start this one off? Yeah, I've been talking a hell of a lot this episode, so I might as well just carry on. So Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so what it is, is it is, I suppose, in many ways, another... Uh, begrudgingly i say that uh it is another game which pits a group of players against another player in a situation and asymmetrical multiplayer game uh four players versus one the other one player npcs yeah that's it well the other one player has a whole bunch of uh non-player characters who fight alongside it strange mutant characters it's a bit like evolve in many ways well that is Uh, actually just a mode that isn't actually the main story the the bad guy is present in the majority, if not all, of the single player modes, uh, of the single player. Uh, yeah, I think, but man, the single player bad guy changes throughout. Thing it's humanity that's that is basically they're against, isn't it? And uh, on the missions I've played so far, it's you're trying to build up your team to try and get rid of humanity. Um, the the other mode is where you actually play a basically an alternative bad guy with the NPCs to go around and murder everybody and hold them back. I mean, that's how I got it. <laughs> I was under the impression that the all of the characters were pretty much mercenaries. It's just the majority of them were of a special race uh, who were rather trying to get rid of the humans because they're somewhat of a pest. But uh, but the game's interesting. Uh, it tends to play out in phases. So the first match I played, I was a villain playing as an antagonist. The tutorial setup, because it's in early beta, was kind of it only taught me how to kill people from the shadows and cling into cling into things. Yeah. I was playing as a kind of sniper character, but despite all of that, I spent most of my time melee killing people. But then when I dropped in as an antagonist. It was it was interesting because you have all of these non-player characters that are going off and in very much they're kind of almost dumbed down player characters. So they're almost playing as the same type of character as the person you're opposing. So there's one of the heroes in the game, I suppose heroes is probably a loose term, but can grab people by the face and just execute them just straight away. If he gets close enough, his attack is, that's it, you know, grab him by the face, bang, on the ground, dead. 
and there are types of enemies that do that as well. Uh, what I've what I found outside of the uh, training not covering that stuff is that the learning curve itself is a little bit odd, but the the game once you've clicked, once that's all clicked, starts to make a lot more sense and everything kind of flows really well. It feels really balanced. What doesn't feel balanced is the fact that when the humans, or not the humans, sorry, the kind of four or five playing start losing, there's a ship that comes in and offers them extra lives if they can hold out for a certain amount of time. And a lot of the characters in the game are based around stealth. There are characters like the uh, sniper who can simply teleport somewhere as a shadow for a certain amount of time, which is enough to steal away that that kind of ticking time down and and keep the game going for a little bit longer. And in fact, the first match that I played should have probably been about 15 seconds, uh, 15 seconds, damn, 15 minutes. And, and instead it went on for half an hour because this one guy was just looping the outside of the map and my NPCs couldn't track him down and I was literally caught behind him. But it's a promising game. It's got a really interesting art style. And, you'll I mean, we'll definitely see more of it. I i don't know how it's going to do because you can't make esports happen, as I've said a lot this week. But uh, I think um, it, it depends on how they're yeah, going to sell it. I mean, I haven't heard from what they're actually going to say. Are they going to make it a free-to-play game? Because what they've shown at the moment is it's in seasons. So there are episodes uh, which you can play, and it says each season is. So I don't know if that's going to be a free-to-play game. Or it's a you, know, you pay for it and it just you know, it updates as the seasons go on. Um, as Dan was saying, the art direction is very much a sci-fi punk, uh, which me personally, I actually love that sort of side of thing. It's something I think has been lacking in, in, in the art style for quite a while. So seeing it so well done in this new beta, which we've been both been playing, um, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a refreshing trend. It's, it's, it's a style that I don't think I've seen before. Well, I have seen it before, but it's not because it's was oversaturated. It's a nice, refreshing style to it. I mean, what's your, what's your take on the style, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it literally looks like somebody took a kind of punk horror show and injected it into sci-fi. You've got these people that are wearing next to nothing with brightly coloured hair, half of their face shaved off, literally face rather than hair, shaved off, and, and then the occasional odd ones like a random or what i assume is the main character is a random cowboy but with cybernetic implants and a and a slightly outer london cockney accent going exactly. you know, well, i don't know i mean yeah the problem is that we need to get rid of these humans in it mate <laughs> and <laughs> what i will say is actually you touched on it quite quickly is that that obviously you know uh, the characters themselves are slightly sexualized but it's not just the females they've been it looks like they've been very fully aware uh they've made you know the men as well in some cases can be over sexualized as well you know, you know chests out in some cases you know showing off a bit of skin um especially in some of those cut sequences where in one case you know they bust him free and he's completely utterly naked <laughs> talking about how he wants to piss and, and you know it, so they have they they haven't just like made it to cater to one gender, if I should say. I would say, however, that all of the characters, you know, regardless of the stance on that, uh, all of the characters do look like odd, you know, perversions of humanity, which I guess is what they're going for. One of the guys yeah. literally looked like uh, 
Ganondorf in human form. And I thought like, oh, all right, okay. But you can tell what they do from looking at them, which I suppose yes. is interesting. Uh, I think there's more of a topic here once we've played a little bit more of this. Uh, we will be doing a preview of it on our website, so that will give uh, the listeners at least, you know, some guide of what it is. Uh, yeah. uh, we will also link it in because you are is free to play. And uh, I, I mean, at the minute, yeah, at the minute it's in at the minute it's in beta. I don't know if it's going to cost to buy into it. I don't know what they're going to do with the business model actually, but I know that they're planning a lot more heroes, and there's a lot of unlocks planned. The way that they assign points to unlock things is a bit odd because you finish a match, which might take obviously 10 minutes or 30 minutes. And then after that, you can bid on a percentage yes. of one of a series of groups which can go on to unlock things. I noticed that when you play certain missions, you there are certain characters who are listed as getting potentially items, which I presume yeah. are blueprints. And That's and right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Certain certain missions provide certain blueprints, which then provides you unlocks for either a skin or a skin of a weapon or a different type of weapon. Um, and instead of just earning it, you, if the game allows you, because it's almost like a, a spin itself, uh, you can then bid on that particular blueprint stroke skin, which you then have to, you can use money to buy. And when I say money, I mean in-game money, not Microsoft taxes. But either way, it feels like it's built for the long haul. Uh, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm impressed with the artwork. You know, I know I sound cynical, uh, but I'm impressed with the artwork. Some of the, the actual map-based stuff, the, the actual map visuals are amazing. And it felt like very much the big step that I played when I played War... War... <laughs> it doesn't work well that I can't remember what it was. <laughs> but uh, the, the game where you're space ninjas... Warframe. Warframe, that's right, yeah. yes. Cheers, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, like Warframe felt like something else. It felt a million miles ahead when that game first launched, uh, and it had a lot of things built into it, you know, to, to make sure that people who did play it felt rewarded. And this yep. very much feels like that. It will be interesting to see what they do with the episodes, uh, to see if they roll over every yeah. week or every month or whatever to keep the game going i guess that depends on the success of the original launch the main issue is as i think we both said before the podcast we ended up playing with the same people over and yes. over again i kept getting that's because invites. of the beta unfortunately that's it but the problem is then that the feedback over time devalues so like in two or three weeks time when I'm giving feedback on the game, I'm going to be like, yeah, it's amazing. I don't understand why anyone wouldn't like it. But last week I was sitting there going, I don't understand this game, but I want to like it. You know, exactly. Yeah. And I was, I was sitting there going like, I can't climb that object, but other people can. The jumps don't feel right. This doesn't feel right. But after a couple of weeks of playing it with the same groups of people, that kind of feedback fades away. And that's a big handicap on, on games like this. Uh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, but you, we don't know. That could be something they're going to fix as time continues. It is a beta. Um, I'm hoping they'll put more people in it because uh, that is probably the biggest frustration is at the moment there doesn't seem to be enough people playing it. Uh, to really give it the grilling and you know and uh, in-depth review that we would like to, and I know Dan is going off to Gamescom 
next week and you'll be talking to the devs about this anyway yeah the the devs are there i'm gonna go and have a little half an hour chat with them and kind of find try and find out the kind of gist of the long-term plan for it the kind of what ifs and and, and what they had in mind when they started it and uh that will be up on the website i'm sure when he gets back agreed First time I've ever heard of the game. Which <laughs> <laughs> must be, I'd never heard of it either. It was one of these things that I think, again, it's, it's, if you don't advertise it, there's a lot of good games out there. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they can't afford uh, the PR or they can't afford the advertisement. There seems to be, at least I'm finding in 2017, a lot more good games that doesn't seem to have an, a decent advertisement. So they're just, if you're not looking for them, they're out of your radar no it's a completely valid point and something that i think will continue to come up let's very quickly touch on the secret news topic of the week which is which is uh no man's sky has received its next update it was leaked this morning and it's now live and there are various words banding about the internet regarding it uh including stuff saying that it's got simultaneous multiplayer all i saw were balls Balls. <laughs> balls everywhere. Floaty balls. Big floaty balls. That's all I saw. Well, I'm looking, uh, uh, and as much as I like to hate, so hate the name drop, I'm actually looking at Kotaku's website at the moment. Um, and they are stating that the 1.3 update uh, comes with a lot of changes, small and large. Uh, most of them are new missions, boards, uh, randomly generated missions. Changes to dogfighting and finally joint exploration. Now, what they've said here is it's not quite multiplayer. You're only able to interact with up to 16 players who are represented by balls of light, but it's a step closer. But it is it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. Is <laughs> it? Yeah, it is. It is. That is definitely a step to multiplayer. If you can see bloody <laughs> orbs of other people that are playing games, that is actually. Actually, by literal definition, a step towards multiplayer. <laughs> a very small step. It, I mean... it's, a very, it's a very small step. I mean, you look at Dark, okay, Dark Souls. At least it had a personal representation of that character, which you could see moving around. Uh, as George said, it's like balls. Seriously. Right. I mean, this is next. Is going to be emojis just following you around. That's just insane. I mean, literally, you are two balls exploring the same area. I presume if you are friends on Xbox Live, or you can't be on Xbox Live, but on PlayStation Network, you know, and you can be exploring the same planet, and you can see each other. You can look over to your right, and you can see, you know, Mister Ball. Over there, <laughs> you're on the same planet. You can have an, that... you can have a PlayStation Network chat about it. You're there. You're in the same instance, and that is, in my opinion, a big deal. And No Man's Sky has, through its very solid, admittedly not regular, but definitely major updates, proved that a game can go from something that people ridicule to a live product. Look, I'm too vastly immature for the subject, but it sounds more like a a spectator mode more than it does yeah. actually multiplayer. That that is, that sounds more like it to me as well. I mean, now if they could make it, I don't know, if the ball of light could wave at you, or you could have some sort of interaction, then there's just this floating thing that potentially randomly moves around. I mean, if you was two two guys streaming this, is it exactly is it 
exact representation of someone moving around, or is it, as, you, as someone said, just someone floating <laughs> in space? You have a good point. I mean, if if they are literally like for like, frame for frame, seeing the representation of another player, then in my opinion, that is that actually is multiplayer. In my opinion, you know, and that is the start of a journey towards the multiplayer that a lot of people expected. I don't think anyone expected two balls of light <laughs> when, when when they came to multiplayer. And it's a pleasant surprise, isn't it? <laughs> Can your balls get in the same ship as you? <laughs> I That's doubt question, it. I think someone, someone who does anyone in this group own own the game? I do, but I haven't played it since it first came out. Yeah, I so, played so, it. So, George, we need to. You need to update this, and you can provide us with <laughs> if your balls can meet up. We were doing so well this week, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, do you own it on PC, George? No, I own it on PlayStation 4. Oh, well, then we're doomed, aren't we? I own it on PC. So, you know, we're never going to meet. There'll be individual servers for that. I've heard about Sony and sharing servers with other people. That's a, that's a question. You know, I, I found with No Man's Sky, the promises were there, but he'd never delivered. So he's now trying to make up for that. Again, this is, again, this is I think we've been harking he. back through it. Or he, you say. We've been harking back through this. That's the whole uh, babble is games that are unfinished and then sold and then are basically updated to become a finished product. Um, in some cases, we're happy with that sort of attitude. And in some cases, we're really, really not happy with that attitude. And from the gist, it just comes down to cost and time and whether or not it's, it's value i think the problem with a lot of people know around sky people saw it and went what i'm paying for it's not worth the value hey, hey mr spaceman toby do you own no man's sky no i do not and i'm quite proud to say that <laughs> god damn <laughs> I, I i i would say about no man's sky and hello games and sean murray actually at this point that i honestly feel that he really, really, really got a hard ride out of that. This is a guy that dreamt of making a game and used technology to make a game and made a game. And because people let him go out there and speak about a game and dream a little bit, he accidentally hung himself. And I honestly mean that. I, oh. I think I think that exactly like Peter Molyneux, this guy was allowed to say, you know, this is what I want much. in the game as this is what I, you know, expect to be in the game. And that, in my opinion, is the problem with that situation. And people were all too willing to stand there and watch as he hung himself, including, in my opinion, the Sony marketing team. No offense to the Sony marketing team, but they really could have stepped in at any given point in time. But no, they just let the guy out, go out there and talk about his perfect game you know of course why not it's, it's a win-win situation if it does well uh they make a lot of money if it doesn't do well it's nothing to do with them they got both mm. okay well i'll play the devil's advocate here there's such a thing as integrity and yes there's 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 you know having a, a great imagination and and hopes but the, the guy straight up lied multiple times and i mean yes you could he, we wanted it in the game, but he still lied. It, it's it's a it's a lack of integrity. I'm sorry. I I honestly think that as time and deadlines and 
publishing right. pressures and all of that crunched in, things had to come out. We and do I have think... to take a one point is that three quarters of the way through the entire development, the office was flooded and they lost a lot of work. That's no excuse, but they still had to keep to a deadline. I think that's a pressure from Sony. They did get flooded. You are completely correct. Uh, that's the danger of living in England. <laughs> um, and if anyone uh, but, who knows about living no, in England, yeah. it, destroyed, it destroyed large quantities of data, large quantities of work for them. I think they lost, I think he mentioned it now, whether he was exaggerated or not, they lost around four months worth of work and they had to recapture that in about a month and a half. I think they that was... they did. I think, personally, maybe again i think supposed to be a bit like just george has been devil's advocate maybe they did have that in the game the flood i'd like to think and again i'd like to be positive maybe they did have it in the game the flood destroyed that and they just couldn't get back to that state in time maybe it's a potential possibility the counter argument to that would obviously be that it's taken them a year this is literally the anniversary update and they are announcing a slight hint at multiplayer since then i think what happened is they got a guy out there and i have met sean murray in person i've interviewed him i spoke to him about joe danger and the guy was fantastic he was enthusiastic you know and he was telling me that this guy was literally joe danger was like the embodiment of the toys they played with, with kids mm. you know and and very much no man's sky is the space adventures they went on the world they imagined and you know what they've done is they've let a guy who is exceptional at coming up with ideas accidentally become the pr guy for the studio and i honestly don't think that that's his fault and i think that people have been far too hard on him but i don't know i i the, the internet is a harsh place and it is oh, a very right. harsh place without a doubt and uh to annoy it is at your own peril very much is at your own peril the problem with the internet is everything you say can be twisted against you and will be if you annoy the internet I think if you promise something in a game, you have to be so careful that you actually accomplish that and make it happen. Because the moment you don't, the internet is going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. And that will happen if you're a AAA game, and that will happen with you're a retro gamer. It, it's, there is no, there's no letting off because you're you know, an indie developer or you're a AAA developer. In, in that respect, the internet is very blunt and very honest. It will just attack you. <laughs> um, and maybe it was he was naive in that respect. You know, maybe he was naive in, in thinking that maybe he'll get, you know, the, the internet will go, oh, okay, we'll let you off on this one because it's your, you know, it's your first big game. Unfortunately, that's not what the internet is like. And in that respect, I think he was naive. And, he, and in that respect, you know. I still... Yeah, no dreaming. No dreaming in the internet. No happiness. <laughs> No optimism, no no hope, no yeah. There, there, there is good bits about the internet, and, and there is hope. But I think the problem with the internet is when it comes to a game, and because everyone was so hyped for it, because they also believed in it. When gamers believe in something, they believe in it wholeheartedly. They believe in it passionately. And unfortunately, when that promise doesn't happen, that passion turns equally into hatred um, and that's what is the result of that passion so if you stir up the fire make sure you accomplish it because otherwise you'll get burnt
what I would say, I suppose, my final input in the defense of Sean Bloody Murray is that if you look <laughs> back at the E3 where they announced No Man's Sky, when that was arranged, when that was walked out, nobody thought that was going to be the big thing. And the audience yeah. went wild. You know, the stuff that they showed was just a reel. You know, it was a reel. It was a display. It was what they wanted the game to be. And mm. every single game on that stage did exactly the same thing unless they were presenting gameplay. You know, somebody could have said, oh, my God, this ping pong game is amazing. And the entire crowd could have gone nuts about a ping pong game. And we could be three years down the line or four years down the line from a ping pong game that didn't deliver, saying exactly the same thing about a ping pong game. And in my opinion, I, I just think that people were so hopeful for this thing to be the next big step. And it couldn't. And I do think that some of that blame, you know, I'm not saying it lays with the gamers. I'm not saying that we got over expectant of the game because I saw it and I instantly said, no, I was burnt by Spore. No, I was burnt by this. I was burnt by that. Mm. And I know that other people didn't. But I, at the same time, I know that Sony, who walked them out on stage and said, look at this amazing thing that's coming to PlayStation 4 and isn't coming to Xbox One. Hey, guys, folks, check it out and follow it up, you know. There was, there was no support there, you know. I think yeah. uh, it was a disaster. You know, I don't think anybody had malicious intent, uh, but in general, it was a, it was a disaster. And it's just, it's done. It's over now. Let's hope that they can, they can, you know, build an awesome game. Right. Exactly. So, just I say, just you know, let's let's try to stay positive compared to the rest of the internet, which is going to be, let's be honest here, negative. Uh, to ask you, I think yeah, they've they've got a very much a very big uphill struggle. The question is, it's like building a house. You know, uh, if you, if you think the house is absolutely awful, do you just leave it and let it become the just you know the decrepit state it's in, or do you just keep bashing away trying to make it the beautiful house you want it to be? And I think fair to Sean Murray, he hasn't just left it as it is. And just bugger off onto another project he's gone do you know what no i am going to continue this and try and get it to where i want it to be hello games are an amazing team they've been an amazing team since they were literally just the little people working on joe danger and the people that they've brought on since and the current team are an amazing team you know and yeah i mean they're an amazing team doing an amazing thing trying to get a game that was conceptualized and accepted by the public as amazing uh to a state to match that uh i'm i'm done talking about no man's sky for this week he's <laughs> <laughs> crying she's bold <laughs> well i think it's a very interesting subject something that we could definitely explore more obviously um who doesn't you know love talking about balls really exactly yeah and especially when they light and float exactly. around you know exactly you know, so why don't you go ahead and close us uh, uh close us dan <laughs> okay so uh yeah uh this has been the big boss battle big boss babble thank you for listening uh remember that you can find all of these over on bigbossbattle.com as well as longer and shorter versions of it on our various channels and yeah it's been a good time let meet up again same time next week Goodbye from Trent.
Bye-bye. Goodbye from Toby. Laters. Goodbye from George. Bye-bye.